Good morning. It's great to see everybody this morning again. Um, I'm excited because uh, we are headed back into Romans today. Uh, it's been uh, over two months since we've been in Romans. Pa- Pastor Frank did some great stuff this past few months on our values and vision of our church, and we did some Christmas stuff before that. And, and so, uh, uh, I don't know, may- maybe today what we're going to do, you could think of it like, uh, at least to start, like when you binge watch a show and uh, you, you go into a new season, you know, usually they start off the season with like the recap, you know, pre- previously on uh, whatever show it is you binge watch. I don't even know what's cool these days. Uh, I'm still watching like NCIS and stuff. So, um, but that's sort of how we're going to start off today. We're going we're gonna to do a little bit of a recap of where we've been in Romans, and I promise it'll only take a couple minutes. I'll cover six chapters of Romans in like three minutes. But, um, but first, we're going we're gonna to read chapter 7, which is where we are today, chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Uh, so let's go ahead and read God's Word together. Paul writes, God says, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law. It is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, and in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Let me, let me pray one more time real quick. Father, thank you for your word that is authoritative, that we, we know we can trust you and your word, and I pray that, Spirit, you would open our hearts, open our eyes to the truth of your word this morning. Uh, let these words not be mine, but yours. Uh, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, back, back to our quick recap our season recap here, uh, Paul writes this letter to the Romans as his big, grand, majestic explanation of what the gospel is. And he starts off, his, the theme verse of this letter may consider it to be Romans 1.16, which is our, our first slide here, where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. So, so Paul is going to go on to explain this, this power of God, of, of the gospel, which is the only way that we as human beings can get back to the good life, which Paul and, and, and the scriptures consider the good life to be being in right relationship with God. The only way for us to have that is through the power of the gospel. And the reason for that is because, as Paul goes on to explain, is that we all fall short. 
we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Um, and, and Paul talks about how in Romans 1, how for a lot of people, that falling short looks like lawlessness, looks like just straight up rebellion, you know, like no rules, I'm going to do my own thing, I don't care about God, I don't, I don't even really consider God, I'm just kind of living my own life, pursuing whatever I want to pursue, you can't tell me what to do, that kind of just lawless rebellion. Uh, but then he goes on in the next couple chapters to talk about how law-keeping can also be a way that we rebel, okay? So um, he talks about the Jews and, and how they relied on the law, thinking that they could earn their way back to the good life, back to a relationship with God by keeping the law. Uh, but he says that is not how it works. You're just as guilty uh, if you think you can be a law keeper and earn salvation, that's a, that's a sign that you are just as guilty as those who break the law and, and just live lives of rebellion. And in fact, I think we might even say that if you lean towards religion, if you lean towards that kind of law keeping, earning you know, God's favor, that might actually be a more dangerous place to be because you think you're good. You think you don't need a savior. And so it's kind of like quicksand. You know, it's, I've, I've never seen quicksand. I don't know if it's even real. Like, it's just in the movies maybe. But apparently, like with quicksand, if you fall in, you know, you don't want to struggle, right? Because the more you try to propel yourself upwards out of the quicksand by using the surface area around you that is quicksand, the faster you're going to sink down. And that's kind of how the law is. Like, you can't use the law which you've already broken, the Bible says, you can't use it to then get out of it. It doesn't function that way. It can't function that way. But that's what happens when we try to keep the law in order to earn our way back into God's good graces. We simply fall further and further away from Him into rebellion. So we must have a Savior. We must have someone else come uh, who, who is different from us, And Paul says it's Jesus, the Son of God, the sinless Savior who comes and saves us, redeems us from the curse of the law. And he says that's that's what the atonement is. The atonement is when Jesus went to the cross, and on the cross he took all of the sin of his people on himself, and and he became sin for us, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. And, And he paid the penalty, the punishment for that sin himself. And then the other exchange that happens is that we get his perfect record of law-keeping. We get his righteousness. Jesus atones for our sins, gives us his righteousness as a gift. And so in in Romans 4, Paul talks about how Abraham uh, had faith as an example and that God credited it to him as righteousness. So he brings up this language of accounting and that, you know, Abraham, um, like any other sinner, has this, this debt, this debt of sin that's insurmountable that we can't pay ourselves, uh, but that in Christ, by faith, we, we go to having no debt. But I, I don't want us to think that it's just like we, we have debt and then there's no debt and there's a zero balance in our account, right? That's, it's not like that we become neutral with God when Jesus saves It's actually that we go from having this crazy, insurmountable debt to then having like 
a trillion, billion, gazillion dollars in our account, right? Like, whatever alien word that you can make up, however far it goes, that's what we have in our account now because of Jesus. And what, that, what that's pointing to is that we have all of the blessings that Jesus has himself. All of that is ours in Christ. We're not just neutral. It's not just zero balance. It's everything in the kingdom. And, and namely, what Paul goes on to say in Romans 5 is that we have peace with God. We have Jesus as our mediator. And then later on, he starts to explain how we have the Holy Spirit and what that means. So that's, that's sort of a brief little recap there of Romans. Um, Romans 6.14, which is a very important verse for us to understand today, uh, Paul says this, <clears throat> For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under, under the law, but under grace. So he spends the rest of Romans 6 explaining what that does not mean. He's, he's saying, one, when, when you're not under the law, now you're under grace. That does not mean that you can just sin all you want. That does not mean you have a license to sin. Sort of like James Bond and his license to kill. No, you don't have a license to sin. And then he also says, this also doesn't mean that the law is now unimportant. Okay, the the law still has great importance for us. We'll talk about that later. So now when we get to Romans 7, he's starting to explain, okay, when I say you're no longer under the law, now you're under grace, here's what I do mean by that. And that's where we end up here. And so the first thing we see he's saying is that we are always going to have a master. We're always going to serve a master. Verse 1 again, he asks the question, how long will the law have authority? And the the way he answered it is, for as long as we live, forever. That seems a little strange after he's just spent these first six chapters explaining how, you know, we're no longer under the law. Now we have Christ and and we're under grace, but then in verse 7, he's like, but the law will last forever. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, what I think he's trying to say is, again, this idea is that we're going to always have some sort of a master. And when he talks about having authority over, how the law has authority over us, you could actually you know, play with that translation a little bit, and it could say that it has lordship over us. So again, he's pointing to this idea of master. Either the law is going to be our Lord, or Jesus is going to be our Lord. Jesus says something really similar to this in Matthew 6, 24. Uh, He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, it's interesting here that he says money. He uses that as the example of one of the masters you could possibly serve, either God or money. Um, You might hear that and think, okay, so does that mean that I could have a different master besides either Jesus or the law? Could I have, could money be my master? Because I think, if we're honest, a lot of us might say, yeah, money is kind of the thing that I go after. You know, like my life's about trying to be rich, trying to have a lot of wealth. Um, Or maybe we would say, if we're honest, my life is mainly about trying to make my kids happy. I'm just trying to, to give them whatever they want so that they'll flourish and have a great life. You know? Or maybe, uh, maybe some of us might even, if we're honest, say, I, I think I'm enslaved to some kind of addiction. 
You know, that's, that's really what I give all my energy to. And so, is it possible that there is another master out there that I could have besides either the law or Jesus? But the answer is actually no. Paul is saying that even if you look at your life and you feel like, yeah, I'm kind of serving wealth or I'm serving my family, that still means that the law is your master. You are mastered by it. And here's the reason. is because in the end, when God judges, he's always judging by the law as the standard. Whether you, whether you know the law or not, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whatever race you are, whether you're male or female, he is judging everyone by that same standard. And so the question is not, the question we need to be asking is not, can I get out of having to be judged according to the law? Because the answer to that is no. The answer, or the question we need to be asking is, whose record of law-keeping represents me? Is it my record, or is it Jesus' record? That's the question we need to be asking. And the good news of the gospel is that when Jesus is our master, we get his perfect record of law-keeping. We, we can set aside, we can forget about our imperfect and flawed and messed up record of law-keeping, and, and we take on his record again, back to the atonement, back to this great exchange on the cross. That's what Jesus did for us. He took our rebellion, he took our sin, he took it on himself, and when he died, that stuff died with him. And now we are raised to new life, and we have this new record, his righteousness as a gift. So he breaks the power of the law over us and he leads us into freedom. But the question is, how do we get there? How do we change allegiances? How do we get this new master? We go from mastered by the law to, to being mastered by Christ. Well, that's the second point that we'll cover here is the uh, uh, point is till death do us part. And the reason I say that is because Paul talks about this in terms of marriage. He uses marriage as an illustration here. He says that in, in this instance where Paul writes, he says, a married woman is not free to marry another man until her husband dies, and then she's free to remarry. Um, and in the same way, we are not free to have Jesus as our master until we have essentially died to the law as our master. And in Paul's example, you know, again, the woman is only released when her husband dies. And I, and I realize that this illustration breaks down at some point because there are other uh, provisions for when a marriage might end. And Paul himself even talks about that uh, in 1 Corinthians 7. But the point is not to explain and flesh out all the different possibilities for how a marriage could end. The point is to shed light on permanence. He uses marriage as an illustration for permanence because God has designed marriage to be a, a lifelong covenant. He's designed marriage to be something permanent. So now in saying that, I want to do something that um, a pastor probably should never do, which is go down a rabbit trail, right? Like, I shouldn't even tell you that I'm doing that, and you probably shouldn't want to hear that, but here's what I'm doing. I'm going down a rabbit trail, all right? I know it. I planned it. It's going to happen. So here we go. Um, marriage in our culture, in our society, I think we can agree, um, is more and more seen as really anything but permanent, right? I mean, like, there's a lot of people that want to have this, this lifelong marriage, and they want to keep their vows, but 
it's, it's very hard to do, and frankly, not, not many people do that anymore in our society. I was, uh, in, in sermon prep, I was Googling recent celebrity divorces, and I saw this list of people, and uh, one that caught my eye was uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin, who's the lead singer of Coldplay. And uh, it caught my eye because I remember reading about this when it happened. Um, their, their story was really interesting because what they said was that their process of a divorce, they called it a, uh, a conscious uncoupling. And, it, and I was really struck by that because I think that's the first time anyone's ever used that phrase. I mean, I really believe they made that up. And <laughs> Paltrow, if you read some more articles about the process later on, she, she starts to be more honest about it, and she's like, you know, this has really been difficult for me. She said that when they, when they originally talked about divorce, and the reason why they used the word or the phrase conscious uncoupling is because it was their goal to do divorce better than anyone else. And when I heard that, when I read that, like my heart just broke for them. I, I don't know these people, but I mean, how sad is it that that's sort of where they came to, that divorce is just kind of inevitable. We're going to do it. We're going to go through it. So why not just do it better than anyone else? I, I don't know what to do with that. Um, that's sort of where we are as a culture. And I think it's ever more important then for us to look back at what God says about marriage. In uh, Matthew 19, 4 through 6, Jesus says, Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh? So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So Jesus takes us all the way back to Genesis 2, where God oversees the very first marriage between Adam and Eve. And and this marriage, it's important to understand, it's pre-fall. It's pre-sin. It's in a perfect circumstance, a perfect atmosphere, where God is literally walking with Adam and Eve. And so it's part of God's good creation. It's not just a social construct for meant for the survival of our species. I mean, it's, it is one woman, one man, and only one woman, and only one man, united as one flesh. This is part of how God created the world to be. That's when we look at that in creation, before sin, we say, yes, that's how it should be. That's not to say that everyone is going or even should get married. I mean, Paul is very clear to say there is so much benefit uh, to being single, for the kingdom especially. Uh, but that is to say that when we think about how marriage should be, we have got to, to let God's design for it inform and govern how it should be. We, as a culture, as a society, yes, we have played around with it and done some things to it, and, and that does, definitely doesn't make it right. God's design for marriage is how it should be. Now, I recognize, of course, marriage has been, as an institution, absolutely affected and even 
blown up by the fall, by sin. Um, God originally, of course, created men and women equal, but with differences. And those differences, pre-fall, were seamless, perfect complements to each other. And now, with the fall, with sin, with, with the curse, we are still equal, definitely different. And those points of conflict, those points of differences, they're not seamless, right? In a marriage, that's, that becomes a, a, almost insurmountable sometimes. Just, just to use a, make it a little bit lighter here and use a humorous example, there's a guy named Mark Gunger who talks a lot about marriage as a speaker, author, um, and he talks about in this one bit he does the differences in the way men and women think, okay? So men's brains, he says... It's like a warehouse with all these boxes, and each box is a separate category, and the boxes never touch. They don't touch each other, and when you, when you want to think about something or talk about something, you pull the box out, you open it, you only talk about what's in the box. When you're done, you put it back in the story. And our favorite box, he says, is the nothing box, <laughs> because we like to talk and think about nothing, and we are good at it. We are good at thinking about nothing, and and ladies, I know you don't understand that, but it's fun. It's freeing. It's freeing. Fully capable of thinking about nothing, and everything's okay. But he says, women's brains, now I get it, he's a man, and he's saying, as far as I understand, women's brains are like balls of yarn. Every string is a thought or or an idea or a category, and it touches every other string, and every thought that you have is connected to a dozen other thoughts. And, and there's all this. This is why women are so good at multitasking, right? You're all already multitasking just naturally. My wife, Jennifer, says it's kind of like having 20 browser windows open in your brain at one time. <laughs> and you just, you, you can't help but think about all of them. And I'm like, you need a nothing box. <laughs> but... But think about that difference. Think about just that difference in the way men and women think. Can that not be a huge challenge to overcome in a marriage? How much work does it take to even understand that there's even that difference? Like, that's just not something that guys grow up thinking about, honestly. We just assume women think the same as us, and maybe vice versa. And so just understanding that difference is hard work. If we do the work... And we come, will we come out stronger? Absolutely. But sometimes, for some people, it's, it's so insurmountable that it just feels easier to just say, I, I can't do it. This is easier to be by myself. But it is possible in this broken, fallen world for marriage to thrive. And when it does, it is a testament to the grace of God. It is, it is what, what Paul talks about in Ephesians 5 is how marriage is a picture of the gospel. When one man and one woman who are very different physically, which we're very excited about, by the way, and very different emotionally and even indifferent in the way we think, when, when these two really different people come together as one flesh in a union, and it actually works by the grace of God, it tells the story of the gospel to the world. Now, this is going to be my shameless plug for our marriage conference I know we already heard about it this morning, but March 8th and 9th, we're going to have Paul Tripp videos. We're going to have small groups with uh, men and women from Westtown who have 
been married for a while and have been through some of these hard things. Uh, they're going to lead us in small group time. Uh, we're going to have childcare. We're going to have food. It'll be a date weekend for you. We would love for you to come. We'd love for you to sign up today or, or definitely try to sign up before the 24th of February. Um, and single people, too. If you are single and, and maybe one day you'd like to be married, um, please come because all of us can understand better what it looks like for a marriage to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So, uh, and in the back out there, there should be some people passing out cards. So uh, that'll, that'll help you know how to register. Anyway, all of this, this whole marriage illustration that Paul uses, it's designed to point us to, to one thing, really, and that's the permanence of, of union with Jesus Christ. We cannot have him as master until we are released from the, this permanent union with the law. We need to be released from that so we're free to be united to Christ. And so what does that look like? When, when we break free from the law and we, we have Christ as our master. Well, Paul says, Philippians 3, 7 and 9, he says this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So this is some of the stuff we've already talked about this morning, of not having our own righteousness or our own record-keeping, but, but Jesus' righteousness. And he says, we, we look at our old lives under the law, we die to that, we throw that off. We say, that's no longer who I am. I'm no longer... You know, presenting myself as, look at my achievements. Look at my uh, good things that I've done. You know, I'm no longer about, you know, let me just do everything that I desire and everything that I plan. Now, see, I'm, I'm taking all that and I'm throwing it to the curb like garbage. Because all I want to do is be found in Jesus Christ. All I want is for, for the defining thing about me to be nothing about me, but to be what Christ has done. That's what Paul is talking about when he says making Christ our master. And I think a, a secondary implication of this is that he's saying we shouldn't be just dating Jesus. And he says, look, you've died to the law. Why? To belong to another, to the one who has been raised from the dead, Jesus Christ. This is, this is not dating language. This is marriage union language. Now, I want to say carefully, if you are new to the church, if you're new to Jesus, new to the Bible, if, if this stuff is just all really fresh and new to you, and you need to like think about it and consider it and just come and try to figure out what's going on, I mean, please, yeah, that's, this is a safe space for that, and that's not what I'm talking about when I say dating Jesus. Everybody needs to have that process if you've never um, done this stuff before. And, and sometimes that process of figuring it out can take a really long time, and that's natural. I think what I'm talking about is when we look at Jesus and we say, well, he's only going to be a category for me. You know, he's only, like, what I do Sunday mornings for an hour really doesn't have an effect on the rest of my week. Like, Jesus just doesn't affect my calendar. He doesn't affect my checkbook or 
I don't think people have checkbooks. Sorry, my bank account. Um, it doesn't affect my marriage. It doesn't affect how I raise my kids. That's what I'm talking about. That's dating Jesus when he just kind of is, you just kind of flirt with him. I, I, would, I would say be really careful because it's, it almost sounds like in some of those instances we're trying to create a third way here. Like, you know, we don't want too much Jesus. We just want a little bit. Um, but Scripture is saying there isn't a third way. There is mastered by the law, and there is mastered by Christ. And, and the third way is, is kind of an illusion. And, and what Paul is pointing us here is that we don't need a third way. What we need is the new way of the Spirit. That's our last point. He wraps it up, and in verse 4 he says, here's why we belong to Jesus. It's so that we might bear fruit for God. Earlier we talked about how the good life is to be in right relationship with God, to, to come into that by the power of the gospel. Um, and the evidence that we are in right relationship with God is that there's fruit. There's new fruit. There's the fruit of the Spirit. Um, and Paul helps us understand this because he contrasts that with the fruit of the old way. He says there's fruit of death also. He's in verse 5, Sinful passions that were aroused by the law at work in us, they bore fruit for death. So what does that mean? What is fruit for death? Well, look, we already talked about how the law, when the law is our master, it only has the power to condemn us. And so it can only move us towards either law-keeping, self-righteousness, or towards just law-breaking, that rebellion we talked about from Romans 1. It cannot move us to life. It does not have that kind of power. It only has the power to condemn. That's why, again, do not use the law as some way to try to get back into God's good graces. It won't work that way. It will only condemn you. But under that kind of life, under that kind of mastery, there is fruit of that. Just think about relationships. Think about how you deal with people. You know, a lot of this, and I know this from my own life, is, you know, when someone offends you, I mean, are you able to move past that? Are you able to get over it and forgive? Or, or you just kind of hold on to that and, and even like sort of start to love that in a weird way? Like I just hold that as a place of or a kind of power over someone. Or maybe you, uh, you always feel like you have to defend yourself or justify yourself when someone says you're wrong. You know, but you twist it and you say, no, no, I'm right because of this. But it, that's a fruit of death. That's not fruit of life. Fruit of life is being able to say, yeah, you know what, I did mess up. Or, or how about holding a grudge? I mean, sometimes we hold grudges over people, and uh, even though it, it, it feels icky, it kind of like, gives us this illusion of power. Like, like I'm over you. you know, I, I have this thing against you. I'm going to hold it over you, almost like blackmail. Look, some of that seems like strength in the moment because it's, it feels like we're being strong and, and you know, we're not letting anybody get to us. But that's Satan lying to us. He's saying it's freeing to be a champion of law-keeping. That's a lie because what that does is it isolates us from everyone. It isolates us, and that's what Satan wants. He wants us isolated. But the new way of the Spirit is nothing like that. The new way of the Spirit is when the Spirit is in our hearts, 
stoking up desires for love, for the fruit of the Spirit, for serving God, for bearing fruit and pleasing Him with our good works. So I want to give you a few practical things that I think that looks like. One is that we have a very different relationship with the law now. Tim Keller says, We now use the law to please the one who saved us. We are not married to it, the law. We are married to Christ. We are seeking to please Him. And so the law's precepts are ways to honor the one we love. The law shows us how to please God. It shows us how to honor Him. It's, it's not our, our slave driver anymore. It's just a, a guide to show us how to love God. Second is more and more, as we've already talked, we'll see fruit of the Spirit. I, I don't think you should think that we will, we're going to see all this right away if you're a new convert or relatively new. Um, but as you grow older, as you walk with Jesus more, you will see more of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. More and more you will desire those things, and more and more you will see those things come out in your words and in your actions. Third is community. Community is huge. We're not, um, we don't become uh, mastered by Jesus, and then that's it. We also become part of a church, part of a bride, the bride of Christ. We have brothers and sisters in Christ, and so that's why we say, come to belong class. Come join our church. We want you to be members of our church, and, and one of the primary reasons is because we believe when you, as a Christian, willingly come under the care and leadership of the, the leadership here at this church that God has ordained, we believe that is a healthy place for you to be. It is so healthy for you to have that kind of care in your life. Uh, and it's also a way that you can show you're investing more in this church. You're saying, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to willingly come under this leadership, and then I'm going to support them. I'm going to support the ministries of this church. Another way to grow in community is to join a group. We have a, we have a lot of life groups and women's groups, men's groups, um, and, and one of the things you get out of that is you get to be really known. Um, Phil Smith has a group that meets on Friday nights, and uh, he says there's a couple of families in there. They have kids, and, and they actually pay to have babysitters come watch their kids so that they can go to a life group on a Friday night. Isn't that crazy? But why, well, why do they do that? Well, I, I guess it's because they feel like in that group, they get something they can't get anywhere else. They get to be known in a way that you're just not going to get on a Sunday morning with so many people here. Uh, they get that kind of care uh, from that small group of people, and then they get to return the favor and care for those people in turn. Um, so I would just say if you're interested in that, you know, come find me, give me a call, Let's put you in a group. We have plenty of space, and we can always make more groups. Uh, so then finally, as far as fruits go, there is repentance. And this is, I think, the key marker of a Christian. A Christian is not perfect. A Christian is repentant. You're going to struggle with sin until the day you meet Jesus. That is a fact. We'll talk about that maybe next week. But under the old master of the law, here's what happens when you sin. You get beat up. You get bruised. You get hurt. That master says, see told you, you're no good. And Satan just kind of uses that like, yeah, uh-huh, no good, not worth it. You just, you're, you're a slave. That's the language Paul uses in chapter 6. But under the new master, when you sin, and we will, and we do, when we sin, we turn back to this new master, to Jesus, and he says to us, look, look what I did. I was beaten up. 
I was bruised. I was put on a cross for your sin. I took care of the problem. I forgive you. There is forgiveness there. And so you turn back to Jesus when you sin, and it is safe. It's the safest place to be. There is nowhere safer to be than running back to Jesus with your sin. Because there you find, you find love, you find care, you find that you are forgiven. New life in the Spirit. A new master frees us from the shame and the guilt of sin. Do you know that master? Do you belong to him? Let's pray. Father, we are thankful. We are amazed. We, uh, we can't believe it that in the gospel we read, we find, we know that Jesus is our master, that Jesus uh, has given us his perfect record of law-keeping, that uh, we don't have to go back into the old way of slavery. And so I pray um, you would help us to walk by the Spirit and that in us the Spirit would produce fruit, that uh, we would see evidence of that, evidence of faith, and that if there be anyone here this morning who does not know Jesus as master, that you would so work in their hearts and uh, cause them to, uh, to want to know that freedom, uh, the freedom of being in right relationship with God because of Jesus. Uh, we thank you. Uh, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.